I'm not here to poke holes and suspended disbelief. Anyway, they see some weird shit. They decide to make a baby. Thou Merkin merchant. Who gives a fuck? Oh my god, we're just gonna start calling you Damien Yeltsin's billboards. Well, you know, uh, I really like it here. Uh, it's kind of nice, and uh, it's not as cold as back home, and the soil is a lot better. So yeah, sure, I think we're gonna settle. If I'm a peasant boy who grabs a sword out of a stone, yeah, I'm able to open people up. You will, yeah. Anytime I hit them with it, right? Yeah. So my cleave landing will make me a cavalier. Good day, sir. If Siskel thought it was empty-headed plebeian trash, it was probably <laughs> really good at groove on it. <laughs> because cannibalism and murder. Pull back just a little bit and build walls to keep out the redheads. Authorial intent doesn't exist. Some people stand up and wipe their butts. Some people stay seated and wipe their butts. Like, it just... This is a Geek History of Time. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history, well, actually now, now, sixth grade history, so still world history, but a uh, history and English teacher here in Northern California. Um, and as far as things going on, um, my son has now succeeded in making it almost all the way through two days wearing big boy underpants. Nice. Um, he finally, this evening, right before bedtime, he had an accident. Uh, there is one caveat. This mm-hmm. is going, going to the potty to do number one, mm-hmm. um, right after lunch literally on the way from our downstairs to his bedroom he crapped his pants <laughs> so we have we still have a ways to go like all the way to go with with bowel movements but as far as urine goes he's he's on track we're very happy with that and all it took was uh roughly 33 uh hot wheels cars oh okay Every time he tells us, mommy, daddy, I got to go potty. And then he goes potty. He gets a Hot Wheels car. Nice. Which, which was great. And it worked like, cause you know, giving him a cookie and whatever kind of mm-hmm. ambivalent, you know, offering him chocolate and yeah, ambivalent, whatever. But a toy, a toy is a motivating factor. <clears throat> the, the problem is, um, we've kind of created a monster because for the last couple of nights, um, or last couple of mornings, uh, he'd wake up, say, daddy, I got to go potty. Okay. We go in, he goes potty. Okay, great. You earned a car. And then five minutes later, daddy, I got to go potty. Like, okay. And we go in and just a little bit, he'd go to the bathroom. All right. Well, there's no quality quantitative requirements. Okay. Right. You get another car. And, and I was complaining about this to, to my wife. I was like, he's, he's gaming the system. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, no, if he's gaming the system, it means he's learning how to hold it. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. This once mm-hmm. we'll let him game the system. Mm-hmm. Cause you're actually gaming him. Y- yes. Yes. But yeah. So anyway, that's, that's what I have going on. Welcome. <clears throat> welcome to toddler parenting. Everybody in our audience who's not a parent. Uh, and for those of you who are, who are ahead of me in the curve, you're welcome for that warm, fuzzy set of memories of your own kids going through this phase. Now, who are you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin and drama teacher up here in Northern California. 
Uh, and I will uh, just say this. If you want to get out of uh, having to spend your retirement on Hot Wheels for the next several weeks, yeah. uh, ramp it up. So literally, like, find a hot ticket one. Like, <clears throat> take him to yeah. uh, to Target and tell him, okay. here's the one. You know, which we pick the one that you really want, and that's the milestone one. Oh, okay. And so then it's, okay, when you've gone as many days you get this one okay but then the cool thing is like after that and then you're like okay now that you're now that you're a big boy and you got you know that this one now it's gonna you know be this yeah. many days and you just yeah. stretch it out yeah this is why uh food as a motivator is so much better uh but <laughs> <laughs> different currency for different kids man yeah I, I remember very very vividly i will not say fondly um, but I'm going to say that about most things having to do with children. Um, I remember yeah. very vividly, not necessarily fondly, although I enjoyed at the time. Um, so yeah, that's, that's basically it for me. Um, I don't really have anything as monumentous as that, except that my dog, my, my pug Skura mm. burped like a human. So that was, <laughs> that was just weird. Uh, I, I, anything else you want to say, Skura? Like, yeah, yeah you know, pretty much. Like, I mean, like, he was just sitting there. He's just like, Brr, and I was like, "Am I recording a podcast with Ed? What happened?" I'm like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> pardon me. Yeah. All right. So, so let's see. When last we talked, um, I discovered that this was a meditation on power and not not a uh, myth. Not a myth. Uh, yeah. Such was Dune, um, and we may have uncovered why I'm attracted to. Very Star Wars. few things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because too many people are are post moral, um, or or just or or just not interested in in fair enough moral judgment. Fair I, enough. I think I think using a phrase like post moral mm-hmm. is 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 more intellectual than I think Herbert deserves. Oh, in, okay. in in regard to this, because he has a lot of very big ideas, but I don't think he's being very, very, uh, um, I'm trying to think what the, I don't think he's being overly intellectual about those ideas. Okay. I, I think, um, he's, he's talking about big things, but he's not being self-conscious about mm-hmm. how smart he is about them. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's, yeah. Saying something like post-moral makes it sound like, well, you know, I'm, I'm it's beyond a choice that I've made. It's a choice that I've made. I'm beyond all that. Like, no, it just doesn't occur to him. Mm-hmm. And kind of as an addendum to what we were talking about last time, I think yeah. part of that is that's the, the level of the genre and, mm-hmm. and the level of the culture of science fiction mm-hmm. at the time, there were people like Roddenberry, who was trying to make a conscious moral kind of, kind of decision, you know, statement about, right. about these things. Uh, and Serling, who was like, he never saw an anvil. He didn't love dropping, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, but very I very much fits with me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, I think within within much of the rest of science fiction, within mainstream science fiction, mm-hmm. which Herbert was kind of expanding the intellectual horizons of mainstream SF, but his mindset mm-hmm. was coming from a place of Asimov okay. and Heinlein and those guys. And, and Heinlein occasionally moralizes, but his moralizing is like... 
you know, it's it's wrong for a guy to hit a woman. Kind right. of kind right. of more, you know, very individual, not not big yeah. systemic kind of issues. Sure. Are not something that those guys were looking at through a moral lens. Right, right. And and I think I I want to include this addendum because now what I want to talk about in in this, our final episode talking about Dune, the novel, is I, I want to talk about Dune's Dune's position and influence okay within the genre yeah yeah absolutely and um it is not an overstatement Mm -hmm. to say that dune is a huge cultural touchstone um even if as we said back in the first episode even if you haven't ever read the book Mm -hmm. you get references to the spice you get references to you know, the Kwisatz Haderach. Sure. You know, um, you have heard some portion of the litany against fear. I will right, not fear. Fear right. is the mind killer. Um, and, and usually, you know, if you haven't read the book, that's probably all you know about yeah. the litany against fear. Yeah. You know, um, fear is the mind killer. It is the small death that brings total oblivion. I will face my fear. I will let it pass over me and through me. And with with my inner eye, I will look back and see the place that is left and all that will remain is me. Okay, there's there's more to it. Sure, sure. And it's actually much more profound when you read the whole thing. It's actually a a a really good meditation on what your fear actually is and how mm-hmm. how fear actually works. But anyway, I'm getting off the subject. Um that that part of that fragment of this book is something mm-hmm. that people who probably couldn't tell you that the book was written by Frank Herbert. Right. They know that thing, even if they're not clear on where mm-hmm. it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the internet I think has been a place where nerds who do know Dune have had this kind of playground to be able to share these in jokes. Mm hmm that in in the nature of all things mimetic mm-hmm. those things have then taken on a life of their own and have have uh, yeah they've grown past their origin yeah they've yeah. they've they've agglomerated their own meanings and they've got they've turned into something they've gone related on so but long different. that we don't even know from whence they came yeah nice and like i r i r dune cat uh-huh you know uh, and, and all of the other, you know, right. The infrared dune yeah. cat. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. Nice. Sequel of, uh, uh or prequel of the UV, the dune UV cat. dune yeah. cat. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then that can only be stopped by the SPF, uh, dune cat. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but so, so dune and the novels to a lesser extent, the novels that came after it mm-hmm. is this huge touchstone. Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, part of that is because of the position it hold it held within the evolution of holds would be a better way to put that the position it holds within the evolutionary record of the genre of science fiction. Okay. So um, as I said in the last episode and earlier on, it is one of the first really major, essentially mainstream science fictional works that is soft science fiction that mm-hmm. is dealing with um, sociological issues, political ideas Okay, uh, is more focused on 
what the society around the main character looks like and how the main character achieves his goals via society Mm -hmm. and via um, his own, his own potential being unlocked and his own expanding consciousness and whatever. Right. Rather than I have invented a widget. Right. And my widget is now going to give me the power to do whatever. Right. Right. Um, you know, he's, he's a social superhero, not a techno superhero. It, as yeah. kind of, kind of a, a clumsy kind of, kind of analogy, but that's the best one I can think of to, sure. to describe it right now. And so it's, it's important to note that at the same time mm-hmm. that Herbert was developing Dune very shortly before this, mm-hmm. a few years before this, um, the foundation, the very first of the foundation novels got published, uh, by Isaac Asimov. Okay. And, um, foundation is another book that kind of doesn't have a moral argument to make about what it's saying. Okay. So you probably wouldn't get into it, <laughs> but it is, it is built on the idea of uh, psycho history and the very, the very beginning of uh, foundation mm-hmm. is um, a, a bureaucrat uh, winds up um uh, meeting up with a, a, an eminent historian who has come up with the, uh, uh, the, the school of thought of psychohistory. Mm-hmm. And basically this, this historian says, I have developed enough computing power and I've, de- I've, I've, I've gathered enough data. And of course, because this was written in, in the early sixties, that means he's got, you know, a, a computer bank, Right. The size of, of a of a high rise building. Right. And he says, you know, with the computing power that I have available, um, I am telling you today mm-hmm. that the intergalactic empire we are living in right now only has another fifty years before it collapses. Okay. And here are the reasons. And he lists off these bizarre random, you know, women's skirts have gotten this many centimeters below the knee. Uh, this, this thing over here, it's like Freakonomics. Um, and, and essentially it is, he has all of this data Mm -hmm. and he's looking at the larger cycles of history. Mm -hmm. And of course, everybody just poop completely poo-poos and whatever. And they say, okay, yes, uh, no, you know, you're eminent and everything and we respect you a whole lot. So here's the deal. Yes. You want this money to go continue building your, your experiment. Okay, great. And so he sets up this place out on the very edge of civilized space. Mm-hmm. And he knew they were going to turn him down because they always turn people down who prophesy that the empire is going right, to fall apart. Right. And what he's actually doing is he's building his own library of Alexandria. Okay. I was going to gonna say, it sounds like he's setting hasten, up for an arc. To hasten the rebuilding of the empire ah, okay. in another generation. And he records films of himself talking to whoever's going to take over from him a generation later and Mm -hmm. a generation after that and a generation after that. And it's like every hundred years. Okay. And so that was Asimov ruminating on big sociological issues and, and the idea of cycles in civilization cycles in history Mm -hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. And it's all, and, and it's this, 
very important kind of groundbreaking stuff within the genre. What's funny is reading it now, it's incredibly dated mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. all of the scientists are men. Right. Um, you hear them talking in a way that very clearly they're all from the mid Atlantic States and right. they're all white guys, right. you know? Um, and, and so there are, it's, it's very clearly a product of its time. Okay. Um, but but he's he's expanding what it is that we're that we're doing with the genre of science fiction. Mm-hmm. Now Dune comes along, and what's interesting about the relationship between these two books or these two series mm-hmm. is eventually in Foundation, my theory is that Asimov got bored, and um, eventually a psychic, a hugely powerful psychic, comes along. Mm-hmm who is able to read people's minds and nothing could predict him. And so Mm. this incredibly powerful psychic winds up essentially being the shadow puppet of, you know, sets himself up as a shadow puppet master who all of a sudden, uh, Harry Seldon is the name of the, of the psycho historian. All of a sudden the folks back at foundation, listen to Harry Seldon's next film mm-hmm. 50 years or hundred years, what it was after the last one. And Harry says, okay, so at this point you should be seeing this, 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 and this are happening. And they're like, none of that's happened. Hmm. Why hasn't any of that? Oh God, Harry was wrong. What are we going to do? And they figure out uh-huh. very smart people figure out, wait a minute, right. there's a force acting on what's going on that Harry wasn't able to predict. Mm -hmm. And that figure when in the books is referred to as the mule. Okay. Um, and commentators have said that, um, Paul Muadib Mm -hmm. is the mule and Dune is Herbert's response to foundation okay where he says no 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 i don't whatever psycho history yeah yeah okay great yes there's this psychic you know uh gestalt there is there is the ur consciousness you know right, universal subconscious right. whatever okay great yes and okay with enough computing power you could predict all of that but what about this guy mm-hmm. i want to look at this guy what does this guy look like mm-hmm. and so in a way dune is a response to this earlier idea and I think in many ways what what that does is more interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think both of these, well, I don't think, I know, if you can just talk to anybody who, who you know, has done any kind of scholarly study of the genre, both of these works are incredibly uh, influential, mm-hmm. are, are incredibly mm-hmm. important to the development of the genre of science fiction. And in this funny way, they they kind of stand in tension with each other. I don't necessarily want to say in opposition to each other, mm-hmm. but in tension with each other. Okay. Because Dune, for all of everything that Herbert is saying about the mass subconscious and the zitgeist and the genetic will of humanity, it's still very, very, very powerfully individualistic. We're still focusing on the importance of the one man the lone okay. figure sure. of Paul Muad'Dib and then his son, right? Uh, you know, God Emperor Leto Atreides, uh, Leto the Second, um, and and you know, and then and then how how that that shifts all of all of humanity's whole arc mm-hmm. gets shifted by these powerful figures. 
Whereas ultimately within the foundation series, spoiler alert for a series of books that are 50 plus years old, mm-hmm. um, eventually the mule gets found and, mm-hmm. and defeated in the course of, of human history is put back on the quote unquote, correct mm-hmm. upward arc, you know, toward, you know, greater, greater prosperity, greater, right, right. greater mental health, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and, and so there, there's this interesting kind of dichotomy between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And anytime you see an interstellar empire in science fiction, since either one of these two works, mm-hmm. they are borrowing on tropes that were codified by these two, by these two works right. in one way or another. Right. They are, they might be responding to deconstructing, just running with like, okay, no, I'm going to play with this. I'm going to, I'm going to steal this one and, and spin it in a different direction. Sure. You know, right, right up to a very recent, uh, Hugo award winning, uh, science fiction novels, um, that have taken the colonialist and, um, I'm going to say white supremacist, but only in the sense that, the assumption was all of these people are going to be white people uh-huh. and, and more modern authors mm-hmm. have looked at them and said, no, I'm going to make a moral statement mm-hmm. about it. And for the life of me right now, sadly, I'm, I'm completely blanking on the, on the title and, and author name, but just in the last couple of years uh, with, with major science fiction awards, mm-hmm. uh, there's a wonderful, and I'm going to have to look it up and, and talk about it in, in a minute. Um, but there's a wonderful series, uh, that makes very cogent, very pointed statements mm-hmm. about imperialism, about colonialism, um, about individual rights and about white supremacy. Okay. Um, in which, uh, the interstellar empire is ruled by an empress who is a black woman. Mm-hmm. And one of the central issues is the armies that the conquering civilization use mm-hmm. are humanoid drones who you find out partway through the, f- the first book in the series, they are taken from the populations of subjugated worlds. Their, their personalities are wiped away and the personality of essentially an artificial intelligence is imprinted on them. Oh, and and so the author uh-huh. is talking about race and is talking about colonialism and is right. talking about conquest and is making very pointed moral statements about all of these things. Now, what is the name of this work? I is got this a, the one I you've forgotten? To, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because this, what, when, do you know when about it was done? Um, four or five years ago. Oh, okay, okay. So because what you're talking about is an echo of Truce at Baccarat. The Star Wars book, yeah, which came out long before that, but yeah. it was essentially you. You just described entenchment. You yeah. described the mm-hmm. Puequics, uh and the Bakurans and the uh, Luex, uh, and and feel free, uh, geek timers, to correct me on pronunciation of those names. Um, but uh, you just described the the entire idea of entenchment. Um, okay. With with in in Truce of Bakra, it had a much more uh, religious flair to it. Okay, found so. it. Oh yeah, yeah. Found it. Uh, it is uh, by Anne Leckie. The mm-hmm. first the first novel is Ancillary Mercy. Okay. 
And uh, from from Wikipedia, I'm just going to read to this. Uh, I'm sorry, Ancillary Mercy mm-hmm. is the last novel. Sorry, the first one is Ancillary Justice, published in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, the novel follows Breck, who is both the sole survivor of a starship destroyed by treachery and the vessel of that ship's artificial consciousness. Okay. So the, the ship... Mm-hmm is an artificial intelligence right all of the troops that are carried by that ship carry the ship's consciousness and they are mm-hmm. wired in with one another so they act as a guest all mm-hmm. and what you find out part way through spoiler alert what you find out part way through the book is the bodies for that artificial intelligence are essentially enslaved Right. They are they right. are conquered people who have had their humanity stripped from them and have been turned into they robots. They are now the vessels for yes, and yeah. they are and they are commanded by mm-hmm. academy trained upper class officers naturally from the imperial power. Right, and in the imperial culture, just as a kind mm-hmm. of a knife in the in the gut to you know older science fiction stuff. Sure, within that empire, darker skin color means higher caste. Oh, okay. as as this kind of throwaway detail that pissed so many puppies off <laughs> like just like why why they gotta sure you sure you know also the fact that it was written by a woman and like why you gotta politics and science fiction like have you read dune like let's right. look at politics and science fiction you read he's any not sci-fi yeah he's not he's not making moral judgments but he's saying shit about politics mm-hmm. like star trek much yeah. ever yeah like Again, anyway. the, the the whole idea of speculative fiction yeah. is inherently political. Yeah. 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 Like, for fuck's sake, I mentioned William Gibson mm-hmm. on a completely different note in our last episode, but I, I, I got to say it here. Like, read William Gibson. We, we talked with, with uh, Teo mm-hmm. on our, in our interview episodes with him. We, he and I got talking about cyberpunk. Yeah. Like, the whole genre of cyberpunk makes these huge statements about politics oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and economics and, yep. and, you know, class warfare or, or class consciousness, whatever you want to call it. Like there are so very clearly the haves and have nots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like Gibson himself has a great essay where he talks about science fiction writers as the court jesters of literature mm-hmm. that, that um, they get away with, saying things nobody else can say because you're not supposed to take them seriously because it's just science fiction right right it's that it's weird just, ghettoization you know, yeah, of yeah. the genre yeah well yeah. that weird ghettoization but at the same time well you know don't take them too seriously it's just science fiction but mm-hmm. but i'll actually know what they're saying is really powerful mm-hmm. you know we 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 tell ourselves not to take it seriously but at the same time the gesture is also a prophet and uh-huh. they're not always a perfect prophet. Right, right. You know, but they're 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 sure. showing us things about ourselves. They're bringing up things that we're not comfortable, you know, talking about. Right, and the only way we can countenance them or uh, or or tolerate tolerate them. them is in this context. Yeah, yeah. So so these two works. Uh huh. Up to. Lecky and and the ancillary series okay have reverberated throughout the entire genre of science fiction Mm -hmm. um and and star wars so dune yeah desert planet giant worms 
uh, nomadic people wandering in the desert. So we have uh, uh, Tatooine. Tatooine. Uh, now, Dune doesn't have multiple suns, but so you what? know whatever. I mean, it, oh, we tacked on another sun. So yeah, it's hotter. Yeah. You know? So so but but desert planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuscan Raiders wandering the desert. Right. Uh, old Mystic. Yep. Living out in the desert, so who leads kid. who leads the the protagonist to an expansion of his consciousness sure. and a growth beyond his original limits. Jedi's powers are basically psychic. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not the same level of weird transhumanism there. It's like I'm telling a space opera story and I need woogie boogie. Right. So right. it's woogie boogie. Yeah. Um, but still. And then um, in one of the very first clips that we see of the planet Tatooine, there is that that skeleton, the rib cage and the spinal column yeah. of the crate dragon along the edges of the dunes, right. which looks very serpentine. Hi, how you doing? My name is Shai Hulud. I'm a sandworm. Like, yeah. You know, and, the, and then the, there's later on, you have the uh, the tentacles from the, the Sarlacc pit. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And so just visually, mm-hmm. obviously, the the influence is there. Mm-hmm. Then we meet Jabba the Hutt. Right. And he's basically a big fat worm. Yes. Yeah. With, you know, fetishes. Yeah. Aplenty. Um, so, like, it's, it's very, very clear that, that there are... Uh, that at the very least, the visual vocabulary... Mm-hmm imprinted on lucas's oh yeah easy. psyche i mean lucas was obviously uh, and people who listen to the show will know uh, and will be typing furiously uh that lucas was also influenced by by uh japanese movies yeah uh, of course he was yeah but also this yeah 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 so and, and then from star wars mm-hmm. we get everything that's come since it mm-hmm that has involved desert planets and, right. and all of that visual vocab, all of that, all of that vocabulary, all of those tropes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, we're come, we're you're going to come to Star Wars, and from Star Wars, you're going to go back sure. to Dune. Um, the very idea of an intergalactic empire mm-hmm. is is something that. I'm going to say Asimov and Herbert essentially gestated at roughly the same time. Okay. Previously, we see stories that take place in space, that take place on human colonies in the far future, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there isn't the same focus on how are we going to run an actual an overarching interstellar civilization. Right. It's more that it's it's an absolute thing that exists as background. Yeah. And with some clever writing. Yeah. Uh, but not really much diving into the celestial bureaucracy. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Nice. I like Thank that. Um, and so so anything anybody's written about no no, the power politics of a, an interstellar empire, mm-hmm. they're they're going back to Dune. Right. If they're right. talking about the massive social changes taking place and, and all of that, then they might be going back to foundation. And I'm sure friends of mine are going to say, well, they're all going back to foundation. Sure. Whatever. They're also going back before they get to foundation. They're going to Dune first. Yeah. And I, I mean, I mentioned you know, this before, but like the, the, the first movie 
I, you know, I mean, yeah. I love Riddick. Yeah. Um, so the first movie, <laughs> Pitch Black, is, is you know, it's not Tatooine. It is no. a industrialized world um, in, in some ways. You, you, they crashed on a planet that had no freaking night. Yeah. Um, except for the moment where they did, hence it's called Pitch Black. Yeah. Uh, but like they, they immediately happen upon, maybe not immediately, but like prospectors. Um, you know, they've got prospectors with them. They happen upon like a science station or a prospecting station. You're not sure. It's it's not like you have moisture farmers. This yeah. is, you know, who, who are living on, you know, sand plantations, sanitations. Nice. Um, thank you. Uh, but um, you have that. In the second one. Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, so terrible. Like, oh, there were some good things in it, which is why I love the third movie the best, because it took all the things I loved about Pitch Black and the three things that I loved about the <laughs> second movie and put them in the third one. Yeah. But in the second one, uh, you have this intergalactic conquering empire. You mm-hmm. have the, uh, what are they called? The necromongers. Yeah. And you have that empire aspect of it. And then in the third one, you go back to a world of deprivation. Yeah. You know? Uh, so just, yeah, like you said, there, there's so many things that are, I was just thinking the, um, what do you call it? The, the, that intergalactic empire. Like yeah. what are the things that we seen that have that? And that one comes into mind. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. of course. So, so it, it has this profound influence on, on genre sense. Mm-hmm. It clearly impacted star Wars very, very heavily. Yeah. Um, and, and within, I want to, I want to talk in detail mm-hmm. about its impact on, uh, gaming. Oh, okay. About in on on role playing and war war gaming, sure, and all of that kind of stuff. Because the the uh, idea of the emperor of humanity mm-hmm. and and a star spanning empire as as a setting in a role playing game, we see it like all the time. Right. We see it, I think, more often in science fiction games. Mm-hmm. Off the top of my head, I'm going to say we see this idea of, of of an intergalactic civilization, intergalactic empire, yeah, more often in a in a game context than we do in just like novels because the scale of a novel is one thing. If you're going to create a role playing game or a war game, right, you have to have an overarching story. You have to have an overarching world. Mm-hmm. So so you've got to be thinking on a more macro scale, sure, kind of by necessity, sure, and so. Um, the, are you at all familiar with the game Traveler? It has been brought up to me a couple times. That's about as far as it, as I've gotten. I think I might've like thumbed through it, but I might be mixing it up with something else. Yeah. So Traveler Mm -hmm. is kind of the granddaddy of science fiction role-playing games. Mm -hmm. Before Star Wars had an RPG, before there was cyberpunk, before any of those, Mm -hmm. Traveler showed up. I'm trying to remember exactly what year, but it was late seventies. Okay. And, uh, Traveler was basically, okay. So create yourself a character. Everybody is part of, you know, a, a crew on a starship. Mm-hmm. And the, it, it was immensely open-ended, like depending on how, what kind of game the game master wanted to run, you could be a bunch of mercenaries. You could sure. be, free traders you could be pirate hunters you could be just having a survival game on an alien planet there was all kinds of stuff sure any number of things you could do well as time went on Mm -hmm. 
there was more and more detail kind of built out about, okay, if you're going to play in the setting that we're kind of using as our own background, mm -hmm. here's what that setting looks like. And there was an intergalactic empire. Okay. And that intergalactic empire um, looked in very many ways a lot like Dune. There was an emperor. Okay. There was an imperial... A feudal system uh with with you know imperial dukes and and having territories that were referred to as marches and duchies and all this kind of thing mm -hmm. um now there was there was a really great kind of kind of schism within humanity between villani and solomani mm -hmm. and there's this kind of backstory of sometime in our prehistory a group of humans was plucked off of earth by ancient aliens and deposited on another planet okay and on that other planet um they they that group of humans um were were living amongst the ruins of a pre-human intergalactic empire that had fantastically god level magic magical technology mm -hmm. but the problem was uh so they were surrounded by all this technology but when they messed with it um as often as not it blew up uh, and so they were surrounded by all this technology. And so they had this massive leg up on uh -huh. humans still on earth. Sure. But they, they became very hidebound and, and culturally there's incredibly a, conservative. I was going to say, because, there's a capping mechanism yeah, there. Don't, yeah. don't go fucking with that unless you're doing it exactly the right way we have, we have, right. you know, and food preparation. This was a wonderful detail that, mm -hmm. that I want to say it was Mark Miller, the, the, the original writer of the game. That, that I, I I hope, well, I don't know, whoever came up with it, it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. But on this other planet, we're we're from Earth. Mm -hmm. our our digestive systems are used to eating earth animals and plants. right. On this alien planet, everything has to be processed so humans could eat it. And so the people who learned how to cook mm -hmm. became the upper caste. And so food preparation became this huge big deal. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, so the, the very first human interstellar empire mm -hmm. was Villani. Well, they encountered the Solomani. Okay. And all of a sudden, both sides were like, wait, the fuck are you? <laughs> because Earth humans, the Solomani, had, had sure. themselves independently come up with a way to travel faster than light. Mm -hmm. And then they got a hold of Villani tech and... Earth humans immediately went, we're going to reverse engineer the shit out of this mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we're going to make it better. Right. And so Earth humans who didn't have the natural hidebound, mm -hmm. whoa, 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 conservatism of the Vlani essentially eventually wound up running the empire. They, they, they overthrew the Vilani and mm -hmm. a Solomani became the one in charge. And by the time of the game, uh -huh. there was just this kind of back and forth kind of kind of uh uh rivalry between Solomani and, and Villani. Right. And jokes made about Villani beer being like awful. Okay. Like, like you know. But you know, there 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 was this uh and and there's a game explanation for this mm -hmm. whole story being the case that I could get into, but it's quite long. Mm -hmm. Basically, it explained the, the there was a board game that this whole conflict was originally uh, uh, the the backstory for, mm -hmm. um, and it explained why the one who is the imperial player has to play a certain way. 
Okay. Whereas the one who is the barbarian, space barbarian player uh-huh. can do all kinds of crazy shit. Right. That the, the imperial player is like, no, I, I, no, I can't. Right, because right. If I, because if I don't do this right, it's going to blow up. I got to be, you know. Okay. So anyway, um, and so Traveler with its interstellar empire mm-hmm. um, was very much a response to these ideas out of dune it was it was we have this this central empire Mm -hmm. the emperor is a massively powerful figure and the player characters are so far removed from his his sphere of existence Mm -hmm. that he's essentially a religious figure like there's no they're they're not they're not ever they're going to be dealing with the bureaucrat yeah at, at the planetary you know shipyard level right right you know um and and you know but but the 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 framework in which everything operates Mm -hmm. is taken straight out of out of dune Mm -hmm. with some ideas also thrown in from uh uh foundation Mm -hmm. in terms of you know kind kind of outlook on things and and how everything works interestingly um traveler is is contemporaneous with star wars okay like it it might be i think it came out shortly traveler is is i think shortly after okay but it it and and the used future kind of aesthetic of star wars is clearly an influence on like what life is like as a player character in traveler Uh uh-huh but traveler is is much more hard science fiction traveler you can you can play a traveler game and have it be mm-hmm. space opera-esque but mechanically everything is no no conservation of mass is a thing conservation of energy is a thing okay you know unless right. unless you play as a character from a specific place mm-hmm. you're not going to have psychic powers and those psychic powers are going to be relatively minor you're not going to be doing anything as flashy as the jedi Mm -hmm. you know and and so it's 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 much more contained sure so that's traveler okay as you know running around in an interstellar empire now the other one that i need to talk about uh because it's me Mm -hmm. is warhammer Forty Thousand. okay and i think it was our episode three yeah yeah and 40k mm-hmm. would not look anything like it does mm-hmm. without dune okay okay um in the universe of warhammer 40,000 first off it's impossibly far in the future mm-hmm. does that sound familiar yeah um and uh humanity venerates the god emperor of humankind mm-hmm now, this was not an element in the original novel, so I'm kind of fudging things a little bit. But, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. um, Paul's son, Leto II, winds up becoming an even more powerful psychic than his father. And winds up essentially merging with a sandworm. Mm-hmm. Becomes effectively immortal. And acts as the emperor of, and is the emperor of humanity for the next thousand years or more mm-hmm. after he ascends the throne. Um, and so he is, he is the God emperor. The title of the novel is God emperor of Dune. Okay. 
And so this idea of the emperor yeah. as not merely the, the Pontifex Maximus. Right. But as not, not merely as the high priest, but as the deity. Right, right. The Godhead. The Godhead himself yeah. Yeah. is directly taken straight out of Dune. Mm -hmm. Now there are there are other new wave science fiction and fantasy elements in there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some Michael Moorcock thrown in uh, with with the idea of the Emperor of Grand Britain being this figure who's you know uh, um, essentially a shriveled husk uh, mm -hmm. living in an amniotic bubble. Um, which the Emperor of Mankind, of course, Warhammer Forty Thousand, may or may not be a corpse. Yeah, I remember that. Sustained sustained on yeah. the throne for the last 10,000 years with the sacrifice of, you know, 10,000 psychics a day. Right. Everything. And just like in Dune, everything is over the top. Right. Everything is beyond operatic. And everything is post-moral. But in a way that, again, because 40K was yeah. being a response to Thatcherism, right. nobody is the good guy. Yeah. You know, that's different than this is a meditation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's 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 a satire. Damn it. I, I need more 40K fans on Facebook to remember it started <laughs> out as satire, folks. Um, and and to their credit, a great many of them do still get it. Right. But not enough of them. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. so anyway, that's that's my my pet peeve there. But so and then um, the the book itself mm -hmm. um, wound up becoming it, it went mainstream at, at the same time, essentially at the same time that Stranger in a Strange Land, which we've mentioned before when we talk right. about Heinlein, right. that got picked up by the counterculture. Dune got picked up mm -hmm. in the same way uh, as Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And so these, these terms and these phrases, the litany against fear, all of this kind of stuff percolated mm -hmm. for years and years and years, kind of in the science fiction fandom subconscious. It doesn't seem, you know, see, you mentioned Lord of the Rings and we've talked about Star Wars. Obviously, Star Wars is the, the definer or the codifier of mainstreaming a thing yeah it, partly because it's not actually sci-fi but to the vulgar masses it counts yeah um and you mentioned lord of the rings which is clearly fantasy um and that has mainstreamed as yeah. well uh and both of which were movies um dune was also a movie yeah uh but what i'm noticing is that the spreading out the percolating to the vulgar masses did not happen for dune as it had happened for like it it is a giant in this one genre yeah whereas it's not a genre spanner no you're right so and i wonder i wonder why um i, I you know i i keep going back to the you know again i'm, I'm not as sophisticated a consumer of sci-fi uh or fantasy as you um so could it be that the vulgar masses do need that moral component to it or could it be that herbert is not doing the things in his book like i we never really talked about robots no well because there aren't any right thou and, and shalt kinda... not thou shalt not create a right. machine in semblance of a human mind right uh, is you know which is 
imagination capturing and might be the thing that bridges over. That could be. Yeah. I think, I think. Because in Star Wars, you follow two robots to start the first 22 minutes of the movie. Yeah. They take you to the actual protagonist 22 minutes later. Yeah. I counted it. It's it's the first um, 22 out of 122. It's like a sixth of your movie. of the movie, yeah. Yeah, is is devoid of your protagonist. Yeah. So. So. I don't know. I I think. It's interesting to me. It had all this influence. Yeah. But into things that were still, like the things that it directly influenced, still seem to stay within their lane. Whereas the things that people are like, oh yeah, I was looking at Kurosawa and Dune. You know, uh, I was looking at, you know, like like I was talking yeah. about Riddick. Um, yeah. It didn't, it didn't have mass crossover appeal yeah. either, but um, it takes Dune as one of its influences, not mm-hmm. all of its influences. So I'm yeah. just... I'm, I'm curious think, as to what happened there. I think the issue is mm-hmm. um, Star Wars is easily digestible. Uh-huh. And the Lord of the Rings movies mm-hmm. are easily digestible. Yes, they are. Before the movies, mm-hmm. everybody had heard of the Lord of the Rings in kind of the same way that everybody had heard of Dune. Okay. Like people knew, oh, the Hobbit. Yeah, that's that story about right. that guy, kind of thing. Everybody had heard about Dune because everybody is, you know, one or two degrees of separation away from a hardcore fantasy science fiction nerd, right? Who like knew everything about it, right? So like there, there was there was edge percolation into into consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people using the phrase "grok" in the counterculture in the sixties. Stranger in a Strange Land, kind of the same thing. Lord of the Rings had the advantage of getting a blockbuster series of movies that yeah. took what is, and I love Tolkien, you all know, everybody in the audience, <laughs> you all know what a massive Tolkien fiend I am. Right. I do have to say this. It's not an easy read. Right. Like, so so if you're a it casual... It was made digestible. Yeah. If yes. you're a casual reader reading the Lord of the Rings is going to be an undertaking. If you're sure, you sure. Know, a hardcore, massive nerd book of war, uh-huh. then like, no, no, it's going to be catnip. But right. for a lot of people, it's just, it's not going to be accessible sure. until it gets turned into a movie. And so lots of people now know who Legolas is. Right. Like, you right. know, and, and there are whole, 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 uh, gene, genie genuses. Mm-hmm of memes mm-hmm. built around Legolas is a pretty boy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, himbo Legolas. Sure. You know, uh, you know, dad bod Gimli, whatever. Right, you know, right. they're, they're like these whole whole branches of, of meme evolution built around these things mm-hmm. because of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Because it got made digestible. Dune got a movie mm-hmm. made by David Lynch, <laughs> who is a genius in his way, mm-hmm. but is not a popcorn movie guy. True. True. And, and the Dune movie is phantasmagorical and, and operatic mm-hmm. and dark. It also suffers and from, has, you know, from being very identifiable as an eighties movie. It is also very dated. Yes. It is also, uh, I mean, the Vangelis score alone is like, 
Yeah. We're done, you know. Uh, but it 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 is also Lynch also had shit to say. Right. You know, Lord of the Rings, like Tolkien expressly said, I didn't set out to tell a more a morality tale. Right. He told one in the end, but yeah, he, he was telling he was telling a fairy story. It was yes. a moral it was a moral morality tale because it was a fairy story. Right. Uh, Star Wars is Buck Rogers. And yeah. so Buck Rogers has more. There's a good guy and a bad guy. Yep, and yep. that's how that works. But it wasn't like Lucas sat down and said, I'm going to say something about the duality of man. No, that that accent no, slipped. That, in. that, yeah. that, that, yeah. Well, and, and I was, so, yeah. So ahead. Dune has suffered from its own self-involvement. Yeah. Because, because the Lynch movie is very self-involved and very yes. self-indulgent. All of the dialogue in the book is incredibly self-involved and right. self-indulgent. Yeah. And so I think I think that's more of what it is, is mm-hmm. just it's it's so wrapped up in in trying to say something with mm-hmm. both of those S's being capitalized that it 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 just isn't popular fiction. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because I'm thinking about um, Star Wars is, I mean, yes, they look like they're in the Bee Gees. <laughs> but honestly, <laughs> that that kind of hairstyle can be uh, attributed to a long time in space and no space barbers. Like, it really yeah. can. Yeah. Um, you know, there are certain aspects of it that are like, oh, okay, everybody had really long sideburns. It's clearly a 70s movie, but at the same time, it is timeless. Some of that has to do with the music, too. Um, and Lord of the Rings, the movies were made by somebody who was specifically going to be loyal to the uh, source material mm-hmm. and in in spirit, if not in letter. Yeah. Uh, and I think both of them, therefore, were they were John Ford movies without being John Ford movies. Oh yeah. Whereas the Dune movie. That was very clearly a David Lynch movie. So I think <laughs> you're right. Yeah. You're right. So it doesn't yeah. have that that vast appeal. Yeah. There's yeah. there's there's a very clear thumbprint yes. on on every aspect yes. of of both the novel's DNA and mm-hmm. then there's multiple thumbprints on the movie's DNA. Yes. Yes. And yeah. So okay. I'm I'm really excited. This this is this is where I'm gonna start fanboying out. I am okay. really, really excited having seen what I think are going to be the last trailers we're going to see before, before the actual release of the film, uh-huh. the new Dune movie mm. has me. I am so hyped. Okay. I am so excited because I think fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. I think with the names who were involved, who are going to be on the cast with the fact that mm-hmm. all of the dialogue in the trailer Looks like they went through the novel and said, okay, no, seriously, um, write this like you can actually say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I I hope <laughs> that, that the Dune movie might manage to make the actual story of the book something that, that is more, more widely known. Right. I mean, it's never going to be Star Wars. It's never going to be Lord of the Rings, but, but it, it might be Game of Thrones. Right. Like, right. you know, which also, by the way, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, we can see some influences within the genre from from. Oh, June. sure. Sure. Like, you you know, uh, dynastic struggle, 
um, you know, uh, the, the the conflicts of nobility, the meditations on power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, I mean, it's and it's it's a fantasy, right. straight up fantasy, as opposed to being cloaked as a planetary romance. But, you know, I don't think George R. R. Martin would have had the confidence to write an epic sweeping sure. fantasy story like a song of ice and fire. If there hadn't been Dune as one of its precursors. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's the hill I'm going to die on in regard to that particular relationship. There you go. Those All of right. you who are George R. R. Martin fans, anybody who wants to, you know, tell George R. R. Martin on Twitter that I said this fine. I didn't know please. he was on Twitter. I would I would actually be really happy to have him come at me because that would that would give me so much more clout. Like <laughs> I cannot begin to tell you. Uh and I would just fanboy like immediately, so it wouldn't even really be a f- I'd crumple. Like I okay. anyway. So and I don't think I'm saying anything that controversial anyway, but you know, there we go. Right. So so it, it is it it has this this remarkable position as being this cultural touchstone. Mm-hmm that has been amazingly influential and amazingly important within the evolution of the genre. Mm-hmm. But it's still, like you said, never turned into something that is broadly known. It's it, in the same way that, that, that other things that came after it are. It seems to me to be the bizarro version of Avatar. Okay. Avatar uh, until the Avengers Endgame decided to stay out longer, <laughs> specifically to break the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Avatar was the highest-grossing film of all time ever. That means everybody went to fucking see it. Yeah, and a lot and of people went to see it multiple, multiple times. times, and nobody really remembers it. It's yeah. thoroughly unrememberable. Oh yeah, uh, it's unremarkable. Visually, yeah, it's stunning. Or and nobody cares. And, and nobody, nobody cares. cares. Yeah. Like, I mean, visually, it, it is amazing, but uh, people remember Star Wars more. Yeah. You Narrative, know? Narratively, it's kind of empty. Uh, narrative, I mean, I already it's saw... A himbo, it's a himbo movie. I was going to say, I already saw Dances with Wolves. I, <laughs> I already saw uh, The Last Samurai. <laughs> I already saw white people make the best whatevers. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I already saw that. Uh, and this just had some ableism thrown in on top of it. <laughs> you know? How? Uh... <laughs> the truth it stings yeah but uh you know it but that movie was seen by everyone and has been since forgotten yeah this book it it had the staying power of a soap bubble yeah yeah Yeah. it really did a beautiful fantastic soap bubble with with a tremendous cast Mm -hmm. um you know it it opened our eyes to the idea that uh zoe saldana saldana can can be on screen uh so long as she's not actually black everybody will like her (laughs) Uh, which is really weird to me because mm. she was a fantastic Uhura. Yeah. Uh, but that seems to be like she's either Gamora or yeah. she's a Navi. You know, yeah. like, and and people like actually got a um, a syndrome based on Avatar. I don't know if you know about this. People got depressed because they went and saw Avatar and were upset that this world isn't the Avatar world. And it became a depression, a type of depression. Really? Yes. And yet, 
nobody, nobody remembers, remembers this movie. Yeah. Right? It's it's just not memorable. It doesn't stick. It's well, it's it was you know what it yeah. okay, it was it was the cinematic equivalent of a prog rock album cover. Yeah. You know, I, I wish I could remember the name of the artist, but you know, sure. literally floating islands mm-hmm. and and you know, huge sweeping vistas. Yeah, and, yeah, he and did super stuff saturated. For yeah. yeah. <laughs> super super saturated yeah. colors and all that kind of stuff. Is yeah. Yeah, it was called Avatar Depression Syndrome, by the way. Wow. And it was uh yeah, it was, it was this whole thing back <laughs> in two thousand ten. It was nuts. Uh and the depression syndrome only lasted, you know, mm-hmm. for that long. Yeah. Because nobody remembers the movie that right. long. So it's just it's it's wild yeah. how immensely um popular it was and yet it, it, it is Teflon, right? Whereas Dune well I don't like sand. <laughs> it gets everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But I mean Dune is is you can trace back everything to Dune in yeah. some respect or another when it comes to this genre and yeah, and some, it, it's some tremendously influence. influential. Yeah. And Everybody remembers it, but nobody has read it. Yeah, you know, and and where's this other foundation one? is yeah. the same way. Yeah, so like I I was I was in my late thirties before mm-hmm. I before I finally read Foundation. Okay, um, and I had you know all of my literary SF friends were like mm-hmm. you know no no this is this is critically important this is a you know right you know it's, it's foundational you know it's foundational yeah literally mm. you know and and it, it just took me forever to read it because i felt like it was going to be like eating my vegetables mm-hmm. and i think for some science fiction fans dune is the same way mm-hmm. because you know it's been commented on in other forms by other authors doing other stuff with the tropes mm-hmm. and it's like well okay all right, I, I gotta, I gotta go back and eat the broccoli. Kind of, kind of, kind of thing. Um, you know, I know one of one of my friends mm-hmm. uh, just recently read it for the first time and sure. was uh, both very amused and I think pleasantly surprised by the fact that he could look at it and go, "Oh, okay, this is a planetary. This is this is a planetary romance. This is a, this is a '60s space opera novel. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I don't know what I was afraid of. Right. Like you know. And by the way, oh my God, this this dialogue is clunky. Like, well, yeah. There's a lot of exposition going right. on here. But you know, but but it was it was kind of this revelation of oh, okay. I thought this was going to be like going back and trying to read Nietzsche directly. Like right. you know, you right. know, try to try to. You know, full yeah. cult. You know, trying to <laughs> and and no, it's it's a planetary romance. He's he's talking about big stuff, but it that's what it is. It's a planetary mm-hmm. romance. Mm-hmm. It's just a very important one because of when it happened and and right. what has happened since. Right. So yeah. So yeah. So there we go. That's that is my commentary. Okay. On on Dune the novel on another occasion after. Mm-hmm multiple episodes have passed maybe after i've had probably after i've had the chance to actually see the new movie uh-huh. we can talk about the david lynch movie and we can sure. talk about the the miniseries version from Sci- sci-fi channel mm-hmm. um which i actually think was a better adaptation of the book everybody says that lynch. yeah about both that and the one for the shining yeah the the miniseries for the shining was also a better adaptation yeah. again kubrick put his thumb on it 
Oh yeah. Oh. You know, so when you when again like, like when you have stuff. when you have a seminal uh, uh auteur. Yeah. When you um, have an auteur. Yeah, that that wrecks uh the transfer of uh media from yeah. book to movie, it seems. Yeah. Uh the one time I would say it doesn't do that is Princess Bride. Yeah. Um although I would say that Rob Reiner's not really an auteur either. Like no. he's He's he, a phenomenal director he, who's directed very different movies. Yeah, I, so, I think yeah. But he, would, he has he yeah. has there's there's a certain touch that you can be like okay well this it's, is clearly it's Rob a Rob Reiner, Reiner yeah. movie, but he does he 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 bounces around between yes. paradigms. I think very he, effectively. He and Ron or no Ron Howard. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna say Ron Williams, but mm-hmm. that wasn't right. Um, but he and Ron Howard, uh, both Andy are, Williams, Andy Williams, who Ron Howard was OP. Uh, no, no, you think Andy Griffith, Andy Griffith, Andy Williams played Potsy, played Potsy. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Anyway. Yeah. Andy Williams got blamed for, uh, shooting JFK. No. Yeah. He played the Potsy. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but oddly, I'm not mad about that. No. One. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it was because he couldn't keep his uh, mouth shut. Oh. Ralph mouth. Yeah, that yeah. one. Okay. That one. That hey. one. Good, good day. Yeah. Good day, sir. So anyway. Uh, so, yeah. But, uh, Ron. Ron Howard. Howard. <laughs> I'm not going to get his name for some reason. Okay. Which is weird because you've talked odd. about another author named Howard. Yeah. Um, But uh, Ron the Duck and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Rob Reiner. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're both they're both they're both just good directors. Yeah, like they can take anything and yeah. make it good. Uh, and I would put them. I I would say they have a point of view, but they subsume it to what the the movie needs. But yeah. they still have a style. Yeah. Whereas John Ford, he was he was a good director. You could you. He's the studio director, though. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. And these guys aren't studio directors. These are mm-hmm. these are known directors. If you want a certain thing, you go to them. Yeah. And I think those two could easily do that switch yeah. that auteurs clearly cannot. Yeah. David so, Lynch and, yeah. and um, the other one you were talking about. Oh, Stanley Cooper. Stanley Cooper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just... Who discovered Dr. Livingston uh, nice. down by the Nile. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know... <laughs> Yeah, it's for for another episode. But just Stanley uh-huh. was was a messed up individual. Stanley Kubrick or no. Henry Morton Stanley? Well, Henry Morton Stanley. Oh, very much so. Like, oh wow. my god. Yeah. Um, I, you might be able to relate that to the movie Barry Lyndon, but I'm gonna let you do that because okay. I fucking hate that movie. <laughs> All right. So all right. At but some point, I, I also don't so. hate you, so I'm not gonna assign that either. So. But yeah, <laughs> so so I, I think I think Dune uh-huh. suffers in the popular imagination or, or suffers in representation. Yes, in the popular imagination because of the fact that it was this big important book saying these big important things, and mm-hmm. so nobody ever looked at it as something to make a mainstream science fiction. We're going to get people to put their butts in seats and buy popcorn movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the the effort by Jodorowsky mm-hmm. to do it uh, never got off the ground. Had some amazing pre concept art developed for it. Had some wonderful. I mean, there's there's a whole uh, 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 
uh, documentary uh-huh. about Jodorowsky's Dune. Wow. A production that never went anywhere. There was, okay. there was so much preparation, so much work that went into it. I want to say H.R. Giger was involved as, as one of the, one of the design, one of the visual designers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, with Jodorowsky, we're talking about an art house director with very specific kinds of aesthetic and, and cinematic kind of, kind of ideas. Mm-hmm. And he never got anywhere with it. Lynch took it and was like, oh yeah, no, 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 no. I I see themes here and I can, I can do things with this. <laughs> and, you know, Lynch is Lynch, like we said. Right. And, and instead of getting picked up by a studio and having a studio go to, hey, we got this young guy out of uh, USC film school, mm-hmm. you do something with this. Right, right. You know, like. If they if, if that had happened with Dune, we might have gotten a a, a movie out of it mm-hmm. that that would not have been what we got, <laughs> and it would and it would be a sure. a a it, it would take up a more central position within popular culture. Mm-hmm. But as it stands, it has been this this thing percolating. I, l- I love that verb for this that you used yeah. originally percolating in the background, influencing all of these other things mm-hmm. that have then gone on to become huge. And for people who have read the book and who love the book and, and who are, you know, fans of that universe, it, it, it holds this very powerful emotional resonance that leads them to then continue circulating the memes and doing all of those things. Right that then drive what presence it has in the rest of the popular consciousness. So, yeah. Now that we've gotten all the way through all of that mm-hmm. and come staggering, you know, out of the uh, desert, out of, out of the desert, yeah. uh, you know, out of rhythm shuffling, mm-hmm. uh, with, with our still suits awry. Uh, what, what, what do you think? What do you take away from all this? Oh well, I think the the last twenty minutes or so has has been a large part of that. It's just that um, you know Dune very much uh, didn't cross over genres for the reasons that we stated, um, and yet it influenced everything that did cross over genres for the reasons that we stated. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I have anything new to add to it. I think you've handled it uh, quite well and taken us taken taken us taken us. T- chat on a uh, wild ride uh so um i got you know i'm gonna miss teaching latin for that reason yeah like, i will always be like you know I'll, I'll deal with past tense verbs and stuff like that and then i'll every once in a while i'll just run into one where i don't remember it and you know i thrive <laughs> he thrived he throve thrave thrab shat <laughs> and i just always say that and the kids are what <laughs> so much fun yeah um, wake up yeah <laughs> <laughs> or I'll do that with like uh, plural of any animal, like yeah. is, is you know, and because kids will ask me, is it fish or fishes? I'm like, well, it depends. You have multiple species, then it's fishes. If it's just one yeah. type, then it's fish. You know, uh, what about deer? Well, no, that's just sheep. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, I think you've you've done a, a fine job there, and and uh, I I'm, I'm glad to be done with doing. Yeah, but uh, I think. Uh, Are you as glad to be done with Dune as you were to be done with Batman? No. Okay. No, just because I've been <laughs> passive this whole time. Okay. Whereas with Batman was like, okay, five five episodes of me being passive. 
which is a lot. Yeah. Um, but it needed to happen. And then five episodes of me digging into like fake memory cults murder yeah. shit. And yeah. it was just, oh my God. It was <laughs> who and then digging into like the, the war on terror. Yeah. Like it that was depressing as fuck. So no, yeah. nothing <laughs> has been as as, as harrowing grueling. as that. Yeah. Okay. But you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so cool. Well, uh now that you've done this magnum opus. Yeah. Uh on Dune, um I guess the only thing left to do is to discuss the knife fight scene and how it perfectly mirrors the I quit match between Randy Orton and John Cena back in two No. Okay. No, nope. yeah, no, nope. wait, fine. no, okay, no, everybody, no, 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 I want, I want the truth on record here, no, no, he started saying that, and he's acting like he's getting a look from me, like, oh, fuck, no, 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 the look he's getting from me is, no, 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 wait, wait, what, dude, dude, wait, there's an I quit match between okay. John Cena and Randy Orton, and, and, uh, I just love watching the two of them go at it, uh, they're both men in their prime, um, but, um, it's, it's uh, John Cena at one point. I mean, it's, it's basically you got to beat the guy until he says I quit. Right? Yeah. Uh, and at one point, uh, because it's wrestling, Randy Orton gets out a pair of handcuffs and chains John Cena to the post and is beating him in the stomach with a kendo stick. Oh, shit. Uh, no, it's like rattan, you know. OK, yeah, is, yeah, yeah, but still. Um, And you just see the welts showing up. Oh, on his, God. And uh, John Cena doesn't quit. You know, and and so just like you know, and how's he gonna get out of this one and stuff mm-hmm. like that? And it's, it's really cool. Um, so uh, I don't think it's necessarily tied to the knife fight that we see uh, between uh, Paul and um, Fadrotha. Fadrotha. Uh, but uh, I do think it would be similar to the uh, the needle in the neck in your hand. No, the, the Gamjabar. Yeah, yeah. So there is yeah. there is definitely a Gamjabar quality too. Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm I'm not I'm not yeah. gonna say. I'm, go not, I'm, I'm not going to say honestly it. that one is much more tied to the the rock versus mankind i quit match okay. uh from the royal rumble where the rock hits him i think 12 13 times over the head with a steel chair uh while his hands are chained behind him uh, she's supposed to only have been five and the rock went crazy okay oh it's bad yeah but wow. uh but either way uh, that's that's all I have to add. Okay, which is nothing. Um, so sorry for the last minute and a half. Uh, so <laughs> whatever. Where can cool. people Where can people find you on the social medias? Uh, I can be found as always at E H Blaylock on the Twitter machine. I can be found at Mister Blaylock on uh, TikTok, mm-hmm. and E H Blaylock again on uh, Instagram. Mm. Now, where can you be found? Oh, you can find me at Duh Harmony on uh, the Twitter and the Insta. Okay. Um, you can also find me every Tuesday night at 8.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns. So now that you've taken us through Dune. Yeah. All the way through. Do you have any book or movie recommendations? I that do. aren't Dune? I do. Okay. Um, I very, very highly recommend uh, the ancillary series uh, by Ann Leckie, uh, which I mentioned as being a response yes. to uh, Dune, uh, a, a very moral, uh, very uh, consciously anti-colonial, anti-imperialist, okay. um, feminist, uh, anti-racist um, uh, novel in, in response to Dune. Hmm. Uh, the novels are Ancillary Justice, Ancillary Sword, and Ancillary Mercy. Um, it's referred to as the Imperial Raj 
R-A-D-C-H. I've never figured out how to pronounce that properly. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, uh, very, very powerful mm-hmm. and it says things. It is, it is, as I said, it is, it is inherently and, and openly political, mm-hmm. but it is also a really great adventure story uh, and and kind of part mystery novel. Nice. Uh, and so I very, very highly recommend the series. Uh, please, please, please go out. Um, and and Lecky deserves all of the royalties she can get for it because they're, they're amazing books. Cool. So again, Ancillary Justice is the first one by Anne Lecky. All right. How about you? Uh, well, there's a book by Michael Mann, um, M-A-N-N. Uh, he's a sociology professor at UCLA, um, but also uh, has professorial rights basically in Belfast. Um, and he wrote a book called Fascists. Um, and it's a little bit old, quite honestly. I 2005? believe five. Yeah. I, I flipped through it yeah, earlier and I, I wanted to see. Because it, it's... <laughs> If you want to see, it was 04, I think, but okay. this, this print might be 05. Um, if you want to see um, a really good, I've got a couple really good books on the growth of fascism, all of which were written prior to 2010, Yeah, which is, if you look at scholars, they have been saying essentially since people started uh, going apeshit over Obamacare, that's when they said, oh, America's going Nazi, y'all. Like, they said it as far back as that because they, they were looking at those responses and the way that the responses were lining up. Yeah. The rhetoric being used um, and the othering that was happening. Um, but I really recommend this book, Fascists, by Michael Mann. Um, it's it's really good. It goes essentially region by region. So it's, it's both chronological and regional. Uh, and so um, it gets you from Italy, essentially, uh, through Germany, Austria, Hungary, Romania, Spain. Okay. Um, so, which I really think that that's, that's valuable to take a look at because you see where it grows up in different places mm-hmm. with different cultures. Um, so that's the one I would recommend. Um, and probably next week I'll have a different book on fascism to recommend, uh, <laughs> just because, uh, this is kind of twigged my brain and there's, okay. there's a few books uh, on it that are, that are really good. Um, so yeah, one of them is called the dark continent and it's not okay. about European colonialism. In Africa, it's actually about fascism in Europe. Oh wow! So okay. yeah, uh, but anyway, those that would be my recommendation for a book. Um, and then the other, the only other one I would recommend would be Truce at Bakra. After okay. you've read your uh, ancillary series, read Truce at Bakra and see if there's not an echo. Okay. Um, and Truce at Bakra is a Star Wars book. I don't remember the author because I never remember authors, um, quite honestly. But I'm looking at it. I think it's Kathy Tires. Yeah, it's Kathy Tires. Okay. Cool. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, for A Geek History of Time. Oh, wait. Do they know where to find us collectively? Oh, yeah. No, collectively, mm-hmm. uh, the, the two of us together uh, can be found on Twitter at Geek History Time. Mm-hmm. And our website, of course, is www.geekhistorytime.com. Yes. So that's where they can find the two of us if you cool. want to collectively excoriate us for an error or even better, you know, praise us for bringing up something cogent and meaningful, mm-hmm. uh, then, then that's where we can be found. And please, please give us a rating 
uh, give us give us the five stars we've earned uh, and and subscribe. So next time you want to you know get a deep dive uh, into uh, the the connection of of uh, wrestling to uh, European post war economic theory, <laughs> uh, you know where to look. Um, so please subscribe, give us a five star rating. Coming down the aisle, the coal and steel union. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Rate, subscribe, review, Stitcher, Spotify, and the iTunes store. So there we go. There you go. Well, uh, for Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, remember fear is the mind killer. <laughs>